When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for uh, making your way here, checking out this series. As always, you can hit the subscribe button. I do three interviews every single week, brand new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, I'm talking with one of my all-time favorite artists and a musical buddy, St. Vincent. She is back with a brand new record called Daddy's Home, or maybe it's Daddy's Home. Really not sure how to pronounce it. But this is a record that that finds Annie showcasing uh, like an early 70s sound. And, and we're going to talk about how that era relates to the music that her father played her in her own youth and how that story ties to his uh, 2010 prison sentence and recent release. Now, we're also going to draw the parallels to a 70s nostalgia during the 90s. Uh, Annie and I are about the same age. I'm just about a year older than her. So expect some name-checking of awesome things like Dazed and Confused and the Smashing Pumpkins and Tool, which she had uh, said in other interviews that uh, before she landed on the sound for this record, she was considering a Tool-inspired record. So I do want to get more specific about that, like what exactly like era of Tool 
might she have uh, taken on? We'll get into that as well and hear about the tour that will eventually follow this album, uh, which she tells us, uh, you know, expect a much looser live show than the the mass seduction setup of the past uh, few years, uh, which comes at a, at a really good time, too, as we'll all finally be more connected in the pit, right? So let's do this. Talking about this record, Daddy's Home, it's Kyle Meredith with St. Vincent. Hey, what's up, Kyle? How's it going? I'm great. How you doing? I think I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I did, so once again, I feel like all I do is compliment you every time I talk to you. But uh, I mean, let's be honest, I don't mind. Dude, Daddy's Home is so good. Like, hey, I, I'm never like I always assume that you're going to blow me away, but that doesn't actually take away from the feeling of when you actually do blow me away with uh, with these records. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And this one again. So there's I feel like there is lots to talk about with this one, like a lot of different angles to come at this. And, and let's start with that sound, because you've like I'm looking at this. First off, I should say I'm looking at this really amazing comic in front of me called Daddy's Home that I was sent. And I've got a perfume scented rose to just set the ambiance for this record. Oh, good. And you get this sort of gritty, as you said, sort of mm-hmm. 70s New York inspired record. And when I think about that, I mean, New York in the 70s, that's the beat up years on the way to becoming the dangerous era. I mean, New York was almost left for dead at this point. And yet it's a romantic vision that we have of that. What mm-hmm. what attracted you to uh, to that corner of the country in that era? Well, a few things. I think one is that when I really go back and think about it, the music that was happening there in the early 70s, again, post the idealism of the flower children, pre the either like nihilism or escapism of um, punk and disco, um, there was music that was this confluence of like, I don't know, people kind of telling it how it was lyrically. And then all of this, really great fusion of rock music but with jazz harmony into it and um funk in there and soul it was just this like really uh really secretly sophisticated but utterly musical output from that time so if i really think about it that's music i've listened to more than anything and but i'd never really approached it per se and that music has a lot of different things to kind of teach me it's a it's an absolutely different animal than than things I've I've done in the past so one that was like okay this is this is really exciting to me um as a musician um and then the other part is I mean I think that period of time reminds me of where we are now I try to be somewhat of a student of history you know, and we're in crazy times now, like we were then with a lot of cultural melee, a lot of uh, economic uncertainty. Um, I feel like we've the veneer of polite society has been in a lot of ways like ripped off. And we're like, what are we, what, what are the things that really bind us? And we're kind of in the process of, as a culture and as a society of rethinking what those are or examining them and going wait is this what we want it to be <laughs> um so i think they're they it feels oddly aligned it's much more truthful i'll say than i, I was thinking back like you and i are, are just one year apart in fact mine's september 30th 81 and and i was thinking like we both lived through the 
70s nostalgia of the 90s. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and this, but that was through the rose-colored glasses, right? That was just the dazed and confused version of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I love that soundtrack. Of course, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. But but you're right, because this is something different. I, I should ask while I'm here though, like, did you participate in that version of the nostalgia during the time, during the 90s? Well, I mean, I yeah, I did, because I also saw Dazed and Confused, and I also decided that I loved Fog Hat. I mean, mm-hmm. we were all right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think we saw that 70s nostalgia because our, our parents were boomers, right? Like, so they were, that was, that was the, mu- the Steely Dan and Stevie Wonder, that, that was the music that my dad was definitely listening to all the time. So that's, that's what I heard, or that's what he showed us. Um, I wasn't necessarily around him all the time because I didn't grow up with him. But um, so that, yes, yeah, so I definitely remember being in uh, junior high and just shopping at thrift stores and getting, wearing, having some pair of like bell bottoms, you know, and that it's, it's funny too, because you see it now and there's a big like nineties nostalgia, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the people in the seventies felt the same way when they saw these kids, like really mixing and matching stuff that was um, like kind of incongruous, like right like now when there's a nineties nostalgia, there's some of it that you're like, totally yeah that was a great part of the 90s then there's some of you like no that we wanted to forget that that wasn't the cool part like (laughs) that part sucked like but but without context and you know without that kind of baggage of growing up and needing to define yourself by the things that you like and don't like more specifically by the things you don't like then it's all just all even steven just everything is up for grabs and it's really interesting to see it just devoid of context yeah. It's interesting that we're drawing these the 70s and 90s again, because there are two points on this record that I made notes on uh, the melting of the sun. And I was thinking like, oh, this is the moment that really does remind me of the AM radio when FM went AOR. But on yeah. the flip side of that, there is live in the dream, which I got a total like melancholy and in the infinite sadness vibe off of that one. I mean, that's, oh, you know, deep cut. <laughs> right. So, are people talking about like I know because Billy Corgan kind of, uh, but you know went went like pretty right wing I guess. But do people talk about those Smashing Pumpkins? Are they part of the like? I think so. Maybe I mean things people really like. Maybe in my world, you know, they they he come out with a new record and it's um, it's the ver it's I think to me it's what Adore should have been, you oh. know, as far as his synth goth thing. So he's out there. Yeah. I mean, of course, I, I, you know, hang around in the rock world. So he's still and and especially with peak 90s nostalgia, like he's in the conversation. Is he you in the not... conversation with kids? Like are kids like, yeah, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that answer. I'm yeah. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me what the children are <laughs> listening to. 39 years old. It'd be I know, creepy like... if I got too close, you know. I know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It is interesting, you know, the, the angles that you are coming at musically on this, because, you know, kind of falling back, as you said, to that, like, e- even I thought, you know, in those first few tracks, like the music reflects, I'm, I'm going to, because the play on words with Daddy's Home, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is the literal paternal story of your father that's sort of, you know, taking place here. And then there's also the daddy's home sort of phrase to it. And I do find that the music, especially in the front end, reflects that sexier side of it. Was that a conversation that you were having with yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the the daddy's home thing is 
works on a lot of levels for me. Um, obviously, the, the very literal, um, <laughs> um, but also on the fun. You know, I've transformed into daddy now. Who are we kidding? And you know, like, and also just it's God. It's so pervy. It makes me laugh, <laughs> especially when you you know, especially when you factor in that there is that layer of the literal father being home. It's a little like uh, arrested development or something. Right. <laughs> the afternoon delight joke. I don't know if you remember that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. He's a narrator. I just saw that, um, just saw that um, Jessica Walter passed away and I was thinking mm-hmm. so much of, uh, which is very sad, but I was thinking one of my favorite moments of her on that show was... Um, when she has some kind of injury and she's on medication and the, where she says uh, she mistook a blinking eye alcohol warning for a winking eye alcohol suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Anyway, sorry. Mantra to live by is really what yeah. that is. <laughs> like, I dare you. Go on. I dare you. It's a, I want to go further into that a little bit though, because, you know, when I'm looking at this, this um, comic poster board in front of me and it ends with, am I the daddy now? As you said, you basically become the daddy. And I even look at that track, my baby wants a baby. Let's see if I can a- ask this in the, in the way I mean to, do you ever add in deflection to stir us away from something personal or obvious, you know, this wink and a nod, you know, while you're actually kind of, shoving something very personal within it well I mean I think it's just possible to to just have a sense of humor I guess I, I will I mean I, I guess it's I hadn't thought of it like deflection um I kind of more thought of it as like uh sometimes it's sometimes to get the point across you have to be like incredibly self-effacing or write the most base like b-a-s-e um version of yourself into it um so um are there are there real feelings of like oh my god i feel like i feel absolutely like a child like i can barely clothe or feed myself like what you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah you know like yeah that's a real you know feeling is it exaggerated sure you know i mean so it's it's i don't know it's kind of all in there i just tried to write about flawed people, uh, obviously myself included, with um, humor and pathos. The holiday party is a really good example to me of that moment right there. Because here's a, you know, here's a song that feels great. It feels good to listen to this. And it's only afterwards going, I go, is there something much darker happening in here that I just yeah. shouldn't be paying attention to? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's like, God, I mean, everybody's just walking around trying to figure it all out. And the reason I could write certain stories is because like, I've been that person. I've been, I've been on both sides of that story. I've been, I've been the girl on the morning train, you know, in last night's clothes. Like I've been there so I can sort of, I can talk about it with, you know, I can just kind of talk about it uh, again with humor and compassion. It's it's that uh, there's not I'm not with the exception of one song on the record, um, which is down. There's really not any like indictments of, you know, people. It's sort of like kind of trying to see it from from all sides, you know. 
It's an interesting choice of words, just considering, again, the paternal story and the indictment, I guess. Um, you know, I'm not in a prison of my own making. <laughs> I <laughs> There it is. You know, sometimes we're incarcerated and I don't mind, but... <laughs> It's that's that's an interesting point, and we should hit on that a little bit because for the ones who don't know, and, and you can find out about this, of course, uh, you know, in any of the notes that you've been putting out there. But that's the other point that your father went to prison um, for, um, I guess, a white collar crime, right? And and that was he went to prison for being amazing. Okay, that's what people <laughs> go to prison for for being a great father, <laughs> great dad. I just thought, you know, that's what an interesting thing for a relationship because, you know, for a decade ago, like your life is 100% different. It's not like he left during, you know, while you were already kind of being becoming a star or whatever, like it was right at the front end. And then here, I mean, what I don't there's I don't know that there's exactly a question here, but that it's got to be its own level of bizarre, you know, to come out and, and see, I don't know what you've become because it's awesome. Well, thanks. It's it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, he definitely had access to TV and and some media and stuff in there. So I think there would be uh, certain other inmates who knew that I was his daughter would put press clippings on his bed and that kind of stuff. And he'd, uh, I think there were a fair amount of like inmates, kids who were fans and things like that. Um, I mean, maybe not a fair amount, but at least a couple that I that I heard about. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, life is long, and there it it, it when it all kind of went went down. I definitely wrote about it extensively in my work, but I never addressed it head on in any sort of autobiographical way for a lot of reasons. One, you know, I want to protect my family. I'm really close with my family. It's 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 their story too. Um, also, I wasn't at any kind of point where I could, I didn't have any perspective on it. And also I wasn't, I think, established enough as anything to let that kind of big autobiographical detail kind of lead the story. Um, I don't think, I didn't think that I could sort of withstand it um, or the music could. Uh, and then also, you know, it's just like not, I don't, I also kind of firmly believe that the artist's intention is totally irrelevant. Like does the work, I even feel this way when I'm looking at, um, you know, at an art museum and you're, and there's like, oh, look, there's a placard that explains this work. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Either I had a totally different experience with the work and was really enjoying it. And then I read the artist's intent and now I feel confused or, or you're like, I mean, this happens quite a bit because certainly not not all work that that um, deals with trauma means it's good art. It just deals with trauma. Um, and I say that in, in, including myself, I've written <laughs> things about traumatic things that weren't particularly good. But uh, but the same thing applies when I'm thinking of like, you know, look, looking at a piece of art that I, I have no emotional reaction to and really no interest in and then reading that like, oh, it's about something really traumatic. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't make it, that's, that doesn't make it a, a better work to me or that doesn't mean it reaches me in a different way. It just means that it happens to be about something very sad. So, so anyway, all that to say, I, I didn't, I don't, I'm not talking about it now in order to like give gravitas to mm. the record or ask for sympathy in any kind of way. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I am where I am with it and I'm fine just sort of, I think, because it had already been 
in the press in a way that I didn't consent to. Um, I was like, well, I guess I get to tell my story. And if I tell my story, it'll be, you know, with way more nuance and with, with a point of view instead of a kind of tabloidy thing. It does make me wonder, you had teased a little bit out there that, um, you know, before you decided musically where to go, that you were thinking about that Tool-inspired record. And I thought, oh, we let our imaginations wonder, like, where could that have gone for that? But it, but I, I started to consider, were you talking more about, and I guess there's no pun intended, but uh, like Tool prison sex or, or lateralis 10,000 days? Oh, wow. That's, thank you for that other uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Kyle. Um, I, uh, more like, I mean, I think more, more in slightly more in the enema world. Uh -huh. And there we are again, back in the nineties. Yeah, there we are. I know we got to wrap up here. I, I do want to quickly ask about what, you know, it's, we're, we're still a bit away. I know that, but for the tour on this, what does that mean? Because you're such a visual artist and you've talked about the tour probably being a bit more raw. And I'm think I'm wondering if that means like a bit more punk, like, I, I go back to your song Crocodile, you know, stuff like that. Like, is, is it going to be sort of that style uh, or something? I think it's definitely going to be, whereas Mass Seduction, it, it worked out in in that we, we all happen to be in a bit of a production arms race in music anyway. And that show and that music, I think, really benefited from like this multimedia submission experience. But um, this was, uh, this one is definitely like, it's just way looser and it really is about like people playing music really well together on a stage for other people, um, which I know that sounds like I'm being sarcastic or reductive, but it, that's just really what it is. Um, so I think that'll be, I think it'll be kind of well-timed. I'm hoping that it's well-timed for when we all get back together and we really just want, we want connection. We yeah. don't, we won't, I don't think we'll want like distraction per se. I think we'll want connection. So hopefully we can all kind of meet meet on that with this music. It's interesting that you brought up mass seduction because I did wonder, it's like the New York, and I, I'll, I'll finish here by bringing it completely around, the New York of mass seduction and the New York of daddy's home. Like, I guess it's on the stage where they finally come together. Yeah, <laughs> with wildly different color palettes. <laughs> really, truly wildly different any uh, it's i'm i'm so happy always when you give new music this album is outstanding it's amazing thank you for the music and it's so great catching up with you again i can't yeah. wait to uh do this all live you too i hope to see you at a in a what a backstage in at an arena in fucking tuscaloosa or something <laughs> it'll be great it'll be awkward and rushed as always okay, just, just the way backstage meetings are that's the way we do that's the way we do <laughs> Thank you so much, Annie. Take care. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Well, all right. Bye. Now, while we're here, we might as well include uh, the other interviews that uh, that Annie Clark, St. Vincent, and I have done together. Let's start back in, uh, we'll, we'll go backwards. 2017, she had just released Mass Seduction, uh, balancing these huge hooks with uh, unannounced detours, both musically and lyrically. It was a record that was at once one of the catchiest and craziest records of the year. Uh, she and I spoke about writing the record, her activities between LPs, and being the subject of tabloid culture. So this is part two, Kyle Meredith with St. Vincent. Hi, how are you? I think the uh, last time we talked, I, I ran into you in Nashville, and we did an interview backstage in your dressing room, and you were in one of the craziest tours, promotional-wise, that I think I've ever seen any artist be put through. 
and and I think the word to be used is frazzled uh, was that day <laughs> to oh. do this album, and it's such a great album. Like, how did you pull this off and not have to do it in such a vacuum that you could have been sucked in from all of this? How did I do this record not in a and and day standing? I'm a little. I you just have to carve out the time. I finished touring in the St. Vincent record in the fall of 2015, and. Um, I started writing kind of immediately, which is my way, because I realized um, I actually don't know what I think or feel until I write it in some way, be it like, you know, an essay or a song. That is really my way to understanding myself. <laughs> so that was something I kind of needed to do right after I stopped touring because uh, I wasn't sure how I felt about any of it. And uh, I made a short horror film, which... I think really, it's just it was just so nice to do something else, frankly. And I don't know. I guess I'm 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 a person who's always enjoyed work more than fun. That horror film, um, I've I've only seen the trailer, but when I listened to the record, and this is probably somewhat coincidental, but uh, I thought there are moments in this album when the music sounds like it could have been a horror soundtrack. Well, I mean, I was making a lot of a lot of different kinds of music. I mean, this album is what it is because these are the strongest song and this is what was supposed to happen and come together eventually working with Jack Antonoff but I have music for days I mean just what what people that it's like an iceberg you know as, as a writer it's like an iceberg you know people only see the top but there's an entire world of unheard music underneath it you know I sort of chuckled a little bit when I was listening to a lot of especially what I was talking about that that type of music and, and it comes from a lot of synth and I said you know, here's a point in your career where you've created this amazing guitar, and and then there's a line on the record where you say, "I hold you like a weapon," which I don't know if is a guitar, but I thought about that and I said, "And it's a synth-heavy record." There is a lot of guitar. It just doesn't. It might not sound exactly like guitar. Um, I mean, I've always done that, where guitar has been a little, you know, gone through the looking glass. I mean, the live show I'm playing constantly. People just might not recognize it as guitar. Yeah. But that, I mean, that doesn't bother me. Guitar will always be a strong presence. Did I get the uh, Did I get the line right? With uh, uh, I'll, hold you like, I'll hold you like a weapon. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so cool. Uh, and, and like, there's these moments all throughout the record. That's you know, the lyrics are like what you did with the cities and and how you tied it into relationship. I mean, it's you've always had a great knack of these lyrics and and to marry this really interesting music. But I feel like this is one of the most poetic records that you've ever done. Thank you very much. I spent so long making sure that every word was right. When asked about the creative process, which I am, you know, I guess almost daily, it's it's mysterious to me. These things emerge and you slowly but surely have this cohesive work that, that all interlinks with each other. I mean, the song Mass Seduction more or less lays out all the characters that you meet in the record. And the, you know, I can't turn off what turns me on might as well be the thesis, you know, of the record. <laughs> Another line in there, and I feel like this is one of those lines that any artist would really want to avoid explaining, or, or and maybe you feel like about all your lyrics, but what a bore to be so adored. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I was thinking about uh, actually a, a Brian Eno line from Here Come the Warm Jets, where he, goes, where he sings, oh, what a burden to be so relied on. Yeah. I was thinking of it in that kind of tone, you know. But I'm... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I will leave it at that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, <laughs> I I'll say that. that. 
I'll say that you went, you grew from this really, you know, um, you grew from a, a cult rock, a rock icon to being part of celebrity tabloid gossip rags. And, and I, I sort of took it a little bit from like, that's got to be weird. That's just got to be a weird point in anybody's life. Um, it was strange. Yeah, it's a strange thing. Um, what's strangest to me about it, and, and just the one thing that I'll say about it, is that um, I don't, it's, it's part of the whole thing. A part of the whole celebrity culture thing is this aspect of wealth aspiration and fame aspiration that bums me out only because what it says to me is that we as a culture and we as government have not taken care of our people. Because I think if people were happier, more contented, and it wasn't just the corrosive side of capitalism all the time, then there wouldn't be these false idols. But that's, I mean, that's my assessment of it. <laughs> but... But yeah, I got, I got, I, you know, got paparazzi to time or two. And sometimes, you know, you like are walking out of working out and you have a camel toe or something, you know, like, (laughs) stupid, but whatever. Well, I mean, you're you're to that point. I mean, you're to the point where your lyrics are being seriously analyzed with a fine tooth comb. And, and, you know, the people are dissecting every part of this because you have this life in the public eye and, you know, it's got to be a big transition for everybody. I know it spells success in the end. Uh, I hope it does, you know, for you, because it certainly seems like it does. But just to kind of grasp onto all of that and then work that into the art, it goes back to, you know, your relationship with your audience. And you and I had talked about before as a performer and a manipulator, which, you know, it's, again, how you do it. It's, it, it's a really interesting way that you've pulled all of this off. Thank you. Well, I think one, one aspect of it is that I, uh, I've gotten more successful in a sort of slow and steady manner, like the tortoise and the hare, mm-hmm. the tortoise in this instance. And so when I was confronted with that you know, more uh, like super mainstream, like tabloid, whatever, celebrity gossip rag stuff, I, I knew who I was and I knew who my friends were. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like a tectonic shift in, in my life. It was just something that I had to kind of figure out how to, where to put it. How to, how to deal with it. Well, I, I love the way it's come out. I, I seriously do. It's my favorite record of the year already. And, uh, oh, awesome. and one of my favorites of yours, too. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. And that's our 10 minutes, as I see. So oh. we'll, we'll see you in Louisville here in a, here in a couple of weeks. Okay, I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Nice to talk to you again. Now we'll jump back to 2015. Annie and I met backstage at a, a show in Nashville. I, I think she was opening up for uh, for the like the Black Keys or something at the time. So we got to talk about um, being St. Vincent, uh, the Grammys, uh, being weird. <laughs> That's sort of its own conversation, mythology, and the politics of the day at that point. So here's part three, Kyle Meredith with St. Vincent. Thank you for having me. It's good, and congratulations because uh, you, you just you got a Grammy nod. Grammys. Yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that is that a big thing? Is, you know, you have some of those artists who are like, nah, you know, competitions, all this. But I, I do like I like awards and all of these things, and it would be an awesome to be an artist who gets a Grammy nod. It would be cool. It is cool. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I think the thing is um, more than like making music a blood sport competition, um, what it kind of signifies is um, a, an awareness that the mainstream now Vic sort of has about me. Yeah. Yeah, that's more what it, what it signals rather than, you know, like... 
like I'm beating all of you or yeah, anything like that. Yeah, right? I mean, you yeah. just, you know, it's obviously not, yeah. not, a, not a competition. The mainstream in you has been a very funny relationship so far. Like there was a, there was a quote by a Canadian artist named Dan Mangan who said, uh, the weirder I got, the more popular I got. Wait. Mangan. Oh, Mangan. I'm yeah. thinking of Jeff Mangum. Probably different. Yeah. Neutral milk. Right, right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not, not him. him. Anyway, because they, they were allowed to be weird from the beginning. You're going to edit this, right? We are. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but anyway, his quote was just the weirder I got, the more popular I got. Mm. And, and, and that seems like you've been able to kind of do that as well. Uh, and we're using weird in the sense of like, you know, you're definitely not Hootie and the Blowfish or something like that. You know? Right. I Thank wish goodness. I was. No. Yeah. I mean, the money's probably nice, I, I guess, but... For Hootie? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think we should... <laughs> Let's pull those finance reports, can we? <laughs> I want to see where that went. No, no, but you've been able to... Do, that. It, did, do, you, do you take any kind of uh, pleasure in, um, I don't know, freaking out the masses? I think... Saturday Night Live was a good example of that because you get on there and then suddenly you have all of these people who've never heard of St. Vincent going, what? Right. Yeah. No, you know what? I don't, um, I don't get like specific pleasure from being quote unquote weird. I, I honestly just, I've, been, I've had the opportunity to grow over do, 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 five records including the one, the collaboration I did with David mm. Byrne. And I just want to make art that I'm proud of and put on shows that are entertaining and fun for me. And um, it's sort of a big bonus that more people are interested now than they were mm -hmm. at the beginning, and hopefully that trend will continue. But um, I, yeah, it was funny. I mean, I definitely, I definitely saw some reactions from Saturday Night Live that were like, you know, who the hell is this person? Right. Why was my, why were my eyes so polluted by this? You know, <laughs> just like whoa. And it's funny. I mean, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I, all of my favorite artists are people who were. Pretty polarizing. Sure. I mean, I don't know that it's, um, to me, it's not necessarily a bonus to be beloved by all. Find me one person who's beloved by all. And it doesn't it's, happen. It doesn't sure, exist. Right, and right. if it does, it's milk toast. Right, so right, right. Whatever. It, it, it's kind of interesting, though. Right now, I see that pop music, and maybe even the top 40 term, is allowed to be weirder than ever. Uh, you know, accepting uh, folks like Lord into pop music and even Beyonce when she tries something it's it's a little bit different than what you know it, it's gotten to a point where I think people are going wanting a little bit more and allowing to get that so you could be in that same spot yeah I mean it, what it all comes down to songs though mm -hmm. I mean mm -hmm. um, Lord had some great songs and Beyonce had some great songs on her or I don't, many I don't mean some at the, to the exclusion of others but I mean it all comes down to songs mm -hmm. and it always will I think um, that's that's the thing that's not exactly any easier to, to craft mm -hmm. even with all the technology that we have at our disposal no matter how bad we want there to be a formula so it will be easy yeah there's never that formula yeah. I keep thinking that there is that mathematical, like uh, Rivers from Weezer thought for a while that there was a mathematical equation. Yeah. Well, that if you wrote the song and, you know, it, it, people would just love it. Or, or they would accept it easier or whatever it was. There are things, I mean, in terms of like radio play, you, yeah. can, you could dissect things and go, okay, a lot of things are at this BPM, they're in major keys, they're this, the chorus is, you know, no romance. two BPM faster. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people write like that and yeah. write, I mean, I don't, I think that's interesting from a sort of science experiment mm -hmm. land, but it's not really, it's not it's something, it's something that I like internalize yeah. or t take to heart when I'm writing. And thank goodness. 
Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, just there's a lot of avenues for music to exist, and it doesn't all have to be channeled through the same yeah. platform. You well, know, to get to the mainstream. You have written, wrote, written, whatever. You, <laughs> you have many amazing songs. I done wrote. I done wrote. <laughs> You've yeah. done wrote some great songs. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and 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 the new record, the self-titled record, really seems like everything has built up to this. It, it feels like the all-encompassing St. Vincent record. Do you do you get to a point where you say, <clears throat> I have mastered a sound. Where do I go from here? Or is there a point, like like using one of your, your idols, like David Bowie, mm -hmm. as an example, to say, uh, okay, I, I've become Ziggy Stardust. When do I turn into the Thin White Duke? Yeah, you know. I just saw the David Bowie exhibit in um, Chicago, which was excellent. And he said something about, um, you know, if he could just be the um, something about like the propaganda machine for his art. Something like that, mm -hmm. and it's it's fun to play with with character and to, to play with theatricality, um, especially at a time that sort of has an idea about um, austerity being more authentic. Mm -hmm. I think people kind of tend to go back to that, like things that are austere and nihilistic are more mm -hmm. authentic, or not even nihilistic, maybe right. like you know. Dust bowl, fat back bacon, hard on sleeve kind of music, yeah. um, which is is great, but is a that that aesthetic. We we shouldn't ascribe authenticity to aesthetic. Right. Do we I think aesthetic it? is like you yeah. can you can really explore it, and I've done that on this record. It's been really fun. Yeah. Well, like to me, to, in, in the big scope of rock and roll. And I, and I talk about this a lot. Uh, I, I need the mythology of rock. Mm -hmm. I need an artist to become something more than a musician on a stage. And it doesn't happen all that much. And, and you seem to have taken that to a great height with this. Well, thank you. It's, um, really, it's just about fun. Yeah. Just about fun. Am I putting too much weight on that? No, yeah. not at all. Not at all. I mean, that bit, the. The visual side of it and the the sort of creation of um, the myth making like that mm. is so much fun and it's hard to do I think in this day and age when people are very um, very keen to um, show every mundane part of themselves and then kind of elevate it to something interesting. We live in very data times, I think. Because you d you have some of those artists and it's rare that that they just they don't have like a web presence. So much, and if they do, you know, it's a marketing team that just posts show dates and everything. You don't get that inside, and we want, and we, you know, as a fan, we're like, "Come on, give me more, give me more." And maybe it's that just that carrot dangling out there, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, you know, for, for you, uh, and and I guess this goes back to the early interviews. You know, the the first record and stuff where everybody's trying to say, "Who is Annie Clark, and who is Saint Vincent?" And, and, and are they two different people? And, and I know you had to do a lot of explaining about that in the other days, but does it get to a point where the character, if there's a character of St. Vincent, just eats Annie Clark alive and, and you become this thing? Well, the, um, the Annie Clark is, the Annie Clark, <laughs> is, is sweating in a winter coat under lights that I wish I hadn't worn because I'm sweating. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, no, what it is... Uh, well, to be honest with you, I have no idea because I've been on tour for ever for my adult life, but also like on this particular tour, mm -hmm. I've been I've been out for 
not 10, 11 months. This is crazy. I know, it is a little, it's yeah. well, it's only something that crazy people would do. Sure. And um, I happen to love it so much. And I think the thing is, you just get insatiable for experience, mm -hmm. whatever that experience is, and remain kind of agnostic about the result. Right. And the same goes for like the creative process. You kind of just dig in, you find those cracks, you find your own uh, you find your own weaknesses and your your own little nooks and crannies of, of uh, anxiety, and you just press into them. Like, what an amazing creative like torture machine! Just like you just <laughs> dig in, and um, and so that's what we've been doing. Yeah. And I don't know, um, I don't know where it's going to lead, um, but I know that I live for the connection of you know audience and performer and whatever that alchemy is for the show. Right. And I love I love the idea of an elevated performance and real theatricality and it's special it's you're supposed to do something that's bigger than you right and and you've done that you know with with calling this uh St. Vincent record St. Vincent and you know self-titled record would, would there would there be a difference would there be an Annie Clark record is that something completely different does that even exist no i mean no i mean i am my job right um, and, I, and, and again, I know this is kind of a question that you've had to answer for a long and time. And also, I don't have the answer to right, it either. Yeah. You know, I am my I am my work. Um, I am my my life's work. Yeah. I give almost everything. And we I are grateful. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. I'm so I'm just glad uh, to get to do what I love for a living, and not a lot of people get to do it. And so, I feel in some ways a responsibility to just like go go as hard as I possibly can to, uh, to I don't know. Yeah. You just don't have a whole lot of time sure. on planet Earth. You might as well make as much I love that. art as you yeah. can no, in the that. interim. How much are you making right now? I, kn I know there was two songs that you just released mm -hmm. for Record Store Day. Uh, are, are you at a point where you write as much as makes the record or is there a lot left over that you kind of say, one day? There's there's a fair amount of things uh, left over. Um, with this record, I actually had more uh, more material than could possibly fit on the record, um, and and more material that we you know John Congleton and I finished, mm. and um, then it just became like the puzzle, the grand puzzle sure. piece of okay, what goes on an album and what what slows down the momentum, mm -hmm. what feels right for this collection of songs, um, and so Sparrow and Pieta, which came out on the ten inch, those were things that. I, were recorded in the same session, mm -hmm. and I really loved both of the songs, but just they didn't right. they didn't fit on the thing. Um, and uh, there's another song that came out, I think, uh, called Del Rio, that was a Japanese B-side. Uh -huh. I remember that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, a couple other songs. That so you, so you try to you, what, if if out. they're special, right? You you still try to get them out there. Yeah, like it's not just like, well, we'll put them in the vaults and wait for the deluxe edition in 20 years. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think fans are a little bit hip to the kind of crass uh, record company repackaging of the same right. thing. Right. Like, oh, just in time for Christmas. Here's. <laughs> well, I don't get it when it's only like cover. a year later, but like the yeah. 25th anniversary, like like Doolittle's 25th anniversary yeah. just came out. Like, I love that. I want That's that. That's 25 years old. And you're welcome. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I've got some killing myself to do. <laughs> I've been having an argument with my friends about the best Pixies record. I think I'm the only guy on the planet that likes Bossa Nova. Real, you better are. than the yeah. rest. Yeah, I, I like know. Doolittle. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like Bossa Nova all the way, and, and I'm I'm the one.
Yeah. That's funny. 25 years. Well, anyway, right. we get anniversaries of, uh, I don't know, when, how old is your first record now? That's got to be... My first record's not, it's actually not that old. I've yeah. just uh, um, been on the road since, well, since before it came out. Um, yeah. 2007. Is it, eight years is old. It, was it, oh, yeah, okay, I thought it was old. a little bit older than that, so. I know. Yeah. I know. You've been here forever. I've, I've <laughs> like all of us, we have all been here. <laughs> Let's just talk about quantum physics and the time space. Blow our minds yeah. right at the end. We will never cease to exist. Yeah. Well, with the internet now, you don't ever die. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Although, what I, I like this thing that they're doing in Europe with the, um, like the right to be forgotten. Right, they do yeah, too. Right? You think they'll ever actually pass here, though? I wonder why it doesn't. I don't know. Why? I mean, certainly they're... Because they're, we can't agree on anything, oh. and nothing gets done. Ever. Politics. Gets done. I mean, it's down here. No, it's not. The politics of our day. I had that written at one point. You did? Yeah. I don't know. It's a messy time. Oh. It's, it's, I mean, it's always a messy time. It's always a messy time. And, and, and we can always, I think at any point, go, this world is being crazy. But I, I honestly, and I'm not near the only person that's ever said this, have never sensed such defeat of any kind of hopes and dreams of a system as what's going on now. Yeah. Although, you know what? I got to say, I was just, uh, I was driving from, I was in a taxi cab going from New York to somewhere, Chicago, yeah. going, going to the airport. And I was talking to, um, talking to the driver who's from uh, Belarus. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, obviously that's, uh, you know, he saw the Soviet system crumble and the satellites, whatever, go away and the, whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, he said that it's so, uh, now where was he living? In Minsk? No, no, no. He was visiting Moscow. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a great story. You're definitely <laughs> going to air this like stoner story <laughs> that I half remember. But the point is, is that there is more corruption other places. Right. Like you would have That's to. That's fair. There's more yeah. corruption. There, yeah, there are a lot of places that are. And, and, and it w it, it's scary, though, to to start comparing. Our, you know, it's it's like it's like we you know if we're in our own bubble, it's like man, I you know I just wish this bubble were better. Yeah, no, I wish this bubble bubble were better as well. But it, one thing that is great about touring is you go and you see how things are other places, mm -hmm. and you ca you really can compare and contrast. Like wow, man, it's and you have conversations with people, you know, and. Right. You know, ask them like, "Hey, how, how? What is your life like here? How are? How are you? How's? Mm -hmm. How's it going? What's your sense of things in terms of the state of the world?" And um, we have a long. I mean, we have a long way to go. But it, maybe it makes John Boehner and Mitch McConnell look a little bit less worse. Man, I don't want to say even, that. I'm not going to say. It. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even look at. The, it's too. Yeah. It's, it just seems like such a farce. I don't even look at it anymore. Yeah. I'm. I mean. We've got a new Jim Crow thing going on in the South with the disenfranch disenfranchisement of basically most of the black population. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, 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 well, yeah, right. We pretend like we we like to pretend like we um, first world, first of world, post-racial and yeah. stuff, and all this, yeah. all this stuff with the fucking police shooting unarmed people. It's get out of town. But uh, but it's got to come around at some point. I mean, there are enough people pissed off. There are enough people mad in the world right now that are. I mean, don't you think? Like, that's that's the hopeful. That's the yeah, hopeful scenario. Yeah, but it's a systemic problem that's been, that is, that, I mean, again, this is like, 
half-remembered stoner. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm not a stoner at all, but just like no, get, yeah. a brain full of mush, you know, piecing together information. But I mean, I do think that human beings, maybe we're just not that great at organizing ourselves yeah. into systems. To how, what's the fix on that then? Well, I don't know. I've been looking at ants, ant populations. Right. Ants on their own are kind of unlikable, but they're they're capable of doing no, right. amazing, amazing things Amazing system, together. right? But uh, getting everyone in line like ants—that's that's complete. It feels like impossible. You know, they all know their job and they do their job, and that's their job. But ants aren't really creative on their own, right? And and we, we are, you were creative. We're all creative. Yeah. Everybody's creative. Right, right, right. I've been seeing a lot. So the, I mean, I've been going to a lot of museums on tour, especially, um, uh, I guess the, the term for it, if you had to term it, would be like outsider artists. But a lot of people who, um, their only means of communication with the outside world is through art. It would be, you know, whether they have severe autism or um, schizophrenia or mm. whatever, or, or were just kind of misunderstood and institutionalized at a during the course of their lives or, or whatever and the main takeaway from all of that is that like human beings have an incredible creative capacity and an irrepressible urge to create yeah. and that's that's really special that's really special well, that's where the good stuff comes from embraced right. yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Under the most dire circumstances, yeah. so we're 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 complicated. I mean, human nature is violent and insidious and and beautiful and brilliant. You know, and when hasn't it been right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's always been that. And I don't think we're getting, I don't think we're getting worse. Think of all the diseases that sure. Have been no, no, I, I, I'm going to agree know. with you on that. I don't think we're getting. I don't worse. think we're getting worse. Our problems are just getting a little like there's no actual <laughs> there's no actual Nazi regime with Hitler and everything happening right now. So we haven't got to that point. No, again, I mean so. there is genocide happening all over sure, the planet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do like this is like half remembered. <laughs> it's all right. I don't think we're going to solve the world's problems right now. Although I had you know my own hope that when this conversation started that we yeah. would. But yeah, you know. the, well. We're, we're propelling it. That's Thus what we're is doing. human nature, just yeah. crushing disappointment. <laughs> Thank you for the crushing <laughs> you're, disappointment. You're welcome. Yeah. Annie, St. Vincent, pleasure. it is a pleasure nice to, talk to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, and, uh, and congratulations again on the Grammy nod. Thank you. And now we'll round it up all the way back in 2012. The first time that Annie Clark and I met was uh, backstage at Bonnaroo during that year. And on this one, we were talking about her uh, collaborative uh, LP with David Byrne, punk rock, dancing, and so much more. Part four of Kyle Meredith with St. Vincent. Thank you. Welcome here. Have you been here? I was here here, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a little while. It missed you, I'm sure. Yes, I missed it. (laughs) You're kind of a, you're actually kind of a festival pro at this point. (laughs) Uh, We played, yeah, we we did Coachella this year and um, Sasquatch Mm -hmm. and... Heading up to Europe to do more festivals. So. Tell me though, when you're playing to a crowd, and I know it's got to be a bit different than playing to a club, does it all seem like one person out there, or do you still get to center in on specific people? Like you can still tell it's a million. Oh yeah, you can still center in on certain people. Um, I do have this theory though that once a crowd gets past maybe four thousand people, it, it it sort of dissipates, and it could be it could be four thousand and one, or right. it could be. 40, yeah, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> Although, good luck to you eventually playing a 40,000 
Fingers crossed. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen, especially the way things go. And the latest record, fantastic. Thank you. Seems like you've been uh, putting a lot of uh, time and effort in on that one. But you're about to move, you're about to roll right past it, I think. You yeah. have another release coming out later with uh, with David Byrne, I think. I do. This is a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectations here. I'm excited about it. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm also in that camp of being, uh, of anticipatory yeah. excitement. Um, yeah, that's going to come out in September, I guess, just about a year after Strange Mercy, and then yeah. we're hitting the road with that in September and October in the States. So. Yeah. And you get to make albums with your heroes at this point. I, mean, I do, so yeah, you, I have. Did it take you long to humanize them? Did you have to yeah. humanize them? Did, did that have to you happen? Know, it's David, and um, I think it, at this point now, I sometimes step back and I'm like, whoa, I'm talking to David Byrne. Sure, but, sure. but he's so normal and so kind, and it's yeah. easy to... Yeah. Well, how did this record uh, happen then? I mean, are you allowed to talk about it? I mean, it, oh, was sure. it total collaboration? Yeah. Were you guys writing together? Did you come in with songs? It was total collaboration. How it started was we um, got approached by a, a, a place called The Housing Works mm -hmm. um, to do a night of music um, for their AIDS charity. And right. so we started writing songs. And, um, and then we got kind of so excited about what we were coming up with that we thought, well, why don't we just record record what we have and we kept writing kept writing and eventually had an album and etc and it was yeah it was very collaborative I mean there was no delineation of roles I mean he wrote music I wrote music mm -hmm. he wrote words I wrote words he wrote words that I sang I wrote words that he sure. sang you know it's just like a big big uh, jumble yeah did there uh, you know, with him especially themes kind of when he's collaborating it's usually thematic mm -hmm. uh, did, did you guys center in on something was it like yeah, that or is yeah yeah we did I mean especially because it's um, the nature of a collaboration is kind of more nebulous mm -hmm. in general but um, it's centered around a 16-piece brass band so it's a big cool. it's a big ensemble and yeah. it was cool to get to work with those textures yeah. are you guys going to be able to tour on it we are, yeah. We're going to tour in um, September and October in the States. That's great. Yeah. Especially your kind of show and his kind of show. Uh, you've talked in the past about choreography, and I know he does a lot of choreography. Does, so yeah. is, there, is there going to be any of that? Do you know if there's going to be any of that yet? I'm, I'm waiting on the word. Yeah. I'm polishing my dancing shoes. <laughs> We'd love to see this. <laughs> yeah. Because I think he'll make you. He does. Oh, you he, he makes would. everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. You know, I'm game. Whatever. Yeah. What about the, uh, the punk rock side of you? Uh, crocodile? Crocodile? Oh, crocodile. yeah. Yeah. Let say it. You spelled oh, it so I odd. think you say it with a with a, a Russian accent. You say crocodile. Crocodile. You do that well. Crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're gonna try that out anymore because you've. You, you, I know you have the punk rock past a little bit. You you've got the love for the punk rock. Yeah. And this is the first time I really heard it from you, like coming out full force. Yeah. I want more. It was it was fun to get to make that seven inch and put it out, and we've been playing it live a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. It's been a it's been a high point of the set because you don't. Re I mean, for me personally, because I don't often uh, just go full force mm -hmm. rage. Mm -hmm. That's fucking fun. So. <laughs> Get it out there. Uh, last of all, Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. You've said it before that you would pick it outside to be on that soundtrack. I would, yeah. Covering I've... the Team of Seal theme song, maybe, or... Yeah, I bought a lawn chair. I'm yeah. all ready. And yeah. some, and some, uh, some supplies to make the sign. But, no, I mean, I keep... Honestly, at this point, I, I will issue a, a statement to Mitch Hurwitz, and I, I will say I will believe it when I see it. Because there have been rumors... Right of it coming back forever. Sure. It's going to happen. you got to have faith. No. you got to have faith. I, you know? So, all right. Happy Bonnaroo to you. Thank you. It's great to see you this year. Congratulations on a big year. Thank you. And my thanks to Annie Clark. The new St. Vincent record is called Daddy's Home. 
Thanks to you again for checking out this episode. Please do hit the subscribe button before you get out of here. Uh, again, with three new interviews every single week, it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists. Discover some new ones and know what's happening in the music world. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, or YouTube for the video versions. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all three of them at Kyle Meredith, uh, TikTok at Kyle Meredith 81 Please do like and follow along and say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Um, hello? Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.